0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: How we doing? Ivy Nation Sports Talk up and rolling. Ooh. Our photos or our images are flipping and flopping on the screen in front of me. He's Vince D'Addario. I'm Sean Styers. I see that that uh, Salty and Anthony are both getting salty already. I just want to say one thing because Salty Virginia Peanuts put me on the clock, and then Anthony said, "Well, he's starting late. That means he needs to make up on it on the back end." You know, like when we started the show, we were we were pretty consistently like finishing up at around an hour. Yeah. Um. We've been going. We've been pushing ninety minutes quite a bit the last yes, we for have. a while now, really. You, whenever
2: you and I are on, it always goes long, and I don't know and what it's Jesse like and I you were. You know, it was like
1: twenty after I think yeah, last, uh-huh. you know, so that's eighty minutes. So there you go. we're we're going, and I don't know if you saw Jesse's spreadsheet that he brought to last night's show. I did or not. not. He was bringing it. I did not realize he, – he did this whole spreadsheet. He did, like, all of Notre Dame's offensive series, you know, in, like, every play, what the personnel packages were on every play, and you know, and all this different stuff. Third down, probably at least 95% of the time, guess who the throws were going to on the uh, third down? Number 87. Yes. Yes. I mean, I knew it was a lot, but, like, when he was – he, it, it was – it was because the whole thing was so. Is it really execution? Is it really play call? You know, like the whole thing. He thought majority was still execution, but I still say okay, maybe it ended up being execution, but you can still. Put yeah. Some of that on the play calling. Absolutely. And some of that, you know, game planning and some of that other stuff.
2: Well, and it's it's like uh it's like that scene in Remember the Titans when Denzel Washington walks into the barn and he gives him the breakdown from the mathematician. It's like this is gonna make us very uh difficult or very very uh dangerous defensively. That's right. If you're throwing it to Michael Mayer every third down, that's gonna make any defense dangerous. So it's not that complicated, is right. what I'm saying. So right. They need to switch things up just a little bit.
1: Yeah. It is mailbag night, everybody. So uh, as you're climbing into the uh, the YouTube chat room tonight, hit us up with your questions. Otherwise, we'll be done well before 7 o'clock.
2: <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> uh, we will be done well before that. And we, we got, obviously, rapid fire coming. But it's gonna be very simple to get this yeah. done and, uh... and
1: speaking of rapid fire, we, we're gonna try something new starting tonight. Your super chats. If you want to send us super chats during the show, uh we'll we'll we'll, we'll push them into rapid fire, kind of do it that way, maybe sure. see how that goes. Why not? So and at this point we super super chats, take it that. rapid fire since you know rapid fire is such a popular segment as it is, but uh, again, the nightly. Um, ramble, <laughs> hit the like button, subscribe, rate, review. There's your public service announcement for tonight. But in the meantime, just get in your questions and get ready to go. John, How are you doing today? I yeah.
2: really need to take this call. I'm going to, I have to leave you for a second. I'm, I apologize. I'll explain <laughs> it all later.
1: Okay. Well, I wish I had Jesse's spreadsheet here with me um, to get into as, uh, as we throw some more questions in our mailbag queue. For tonight and uh i talked to the unlv guy today so we'll have that on tomorrow's show um looking forward to the, he was he was an interesting guy a, a young guy from unlv but uh, pretty interesting had some good insights on the unlv program and it, here's another public service announcement for you you know while i'm thinking about it peacock uh, for those maybe who've Might not have known the Peacock app is the only place you're going to be able to find the game. I understand they're having a hard time selling tickets for this game. Can't understand why Notre Dame, UNLV, Notre Dame coming off a loss. And UNLV was looking pretty good there for a while. They won three of their first four games. And then they just got blown out in back-to-back games by San Jose State and, uh, and Air Force as well. So, uh We're gonna get into some mailbag questions here in just a little bit, and uh, see where we go with that. And...
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select
3: devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: I'm just going to start with this one that Brandon just put in. Will Notre Dame cover the spread minus 25 and a half? Brandon says he's thinking no and i've got to agree with that because they have been double digit favorites three times this season and they have lost two of those games and the other one of course they did not cover the spread the three they're 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 three and three from a pure one loss standpoint and they're also three and three against the spread this season and the three losses against the spread have all been as double digit favorites so i'm not yeah is Simple answer from Irish chi no. no. Um, so I'm, yeah, and Anthony makes a great point as well. I wonder if they even score 25 points Saturday. I just don't know what to make of this team right now. Just, I did not see last Saturday coming. I don't think most people saw last Saturday coming. The fact that they only scored 14 points against that defense, I, I mean, it it makes it very hard to try to predict anything that's actually going to happen for the remainder of the season, whether you're, whether you're talking about point spreads, wins, losses, just total points scored in a game. It's it's just baffling all the way around. So uh, I'm going to say no. I, I'm going to say that they are not going to cover that 25 and a half. I would run from that if I were you. I actually placed my own uh, wagers earlier today. I did... I did a couple of different things. First, I'm going through and I'm looking at the college games on Saturday. And as as uh, my guy, Drunk Vigo, knows, you know, Vigo's saying it depends on how Tommy Reese places his bets. And that's, I mean, kidding, not kidding, right? But, yeah, so as Vigo knows, you know, I like the I like the parlays. Right. So I'm going through my app and I'm looking at some different parlays. And last week I thought I had dialed up some good ones. And I had like a I think I had a six leg parlay going last week. And of course it was my Kansas Jayhawks that blew the whole parlay. And I think there might have been one other that missed. So I didn't I didn't string together six legs when I was going through and looking at it initially. I just found a couple of games, some lines I like, like. I really like Syracuse this week. They're, I think, like a 13 and a half. I think they're plus 13 and a half against Clemson. And I like Syracuse to keep that game. I, I like them to keep it within, at you know, at least uh, I'd say 10 points. I don't, like, I don't like 13 and a half for Clemson. I like Syracuse with that. I believe it's 13 and a half, and I can check it here in just a second. But uh, so, you know, so that was one that I liked. So what I did was I went through and I just found some same game parlays that I liked and, uh, you know, kind of uh, dropped some action there. And then I went back through again and I said, you know what, I'll just put something, I'll I'll put something small and, you know, I'll still build a bigger parlay. But I'm going to, I'm going to trust my instinct on some of these some of these other same game parlays first, and not get into a big six leg and see if I can actually win one of those because I didn't do very well on the big legs last week. All right. So let's go and see what I can find here. I want to save some of these for Vince, and I have no idea what call he's taking, how long he's going to take, or what's going on, or, you know, any of the above. But, um, and as a matter of fact, hang on just a second. As I do something else here on my computer. All right. So, let's see. Well, Salty kind of along the same lines. Fill in the blank. It is blank that the Irish will win by at least 20 points this weekend. I think the eight ball says it is unlikely that the Irish will win by at least 20 points this weekend. That would be my answer is unlikely I'm 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 not seeing it I'm 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 just I have no faith in wagering any money on Notre Dame the rest of the season because I was starting to feel like you could feel confident like if you really you know wanted to you know get if you're looking at point spreads or or what you know and Salty's not necessarily asking about gambling but you know he's asking me if they're going to win by at least 20 points so to an extent It's kind of a, you know, a gambling question, you know, how confident I feel in that. I just, I don't feel confident in anything. I don't feel, now, I realize it's UNLV, but last week was a Stanford team that was given up over 207, right at 207, over 200 rushing yards per game, and Notre Dame couldn't even break 160 against them. So I have no confidence in that they were giving up 32 points a game. Notre Dame scored less than half of that. They scored 14 points. They get a gift on that block punt and they get stuffed on a, on just a dumb fourth and two play. And they don't even get a field goal out of it. And like, go back to the BYU game when they get their first interception of the season. And that's the big thing. Like if you're going to win by big point margins, it can't just come from, from one side of the football the defense is giving them nothing virtually they've only caused a couple of turnovers. The defense is giving them nothing in, you know, in terms of points, like they're not generating any points from the defense. So I, I can't go in on uh, on a 20 plus point victory for Notre Dame because I've got no confidence in that. And I just, like I said, I would not touch Notre Dame from a wagering standpoint for the rest of the season. So yeah, as, as, as Mike said, I don't see any point spreads being covered. I don't either. And then Jonathan says, take the uh, the under point total. That's pretty safe. That that actually might be a good one. Cause let me see. I'll I've got my app sitting right here. What is Notre Dame's point total right now? It is 47 and a half. And I I mean that is not a big point total, but I would be pretty comfortable taking the under on that as well. So I've got to agree with uh, with you on that one. So let me jump back over and see what we've got. Anthony wants an adjusted win total for the season. So they're sitting at three and three through six games right now. You know, again, Syracuse is a pretty good football team. It's on the road. I actually like them better on the road than I like them at home right now just based on current results that we've seen. You know, half a a bad game against Cal and then two losses against Marshall and Stanford that have come at home. They've played head and shoulders better on the road than they played. So, I'll take the Syracuse game. I'll take the UNLV game as a win just because they're not playing that well right now either. So that that gets you to 5 and then After that, you know, there's just nothing right now that gives me the confidence to say that they're actually going to beat Clemson and USC. And I know a lot of people want to say, well, they still can beat Clemson and USC. You're right. And if they had taken care of business last week, I would actually believe that they can beat Clemson or USC. But they didn't take care of business last week. So I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I, you know, so I think that they are sitting as a seven and five team right now. Maybe they pull one out. Maybe they win one of those two games. USC is still a quesadilla, and we saw it last week from Utah. They, there was still obviously a lot of points scored in that Utah USC game, but Utah was the more physical team. Notre Dame can be the more physical team against USC because that's still going to be their weakness, USC's weakness down, you know, on on both lines, both the offensive line and the defensive line. Um so can Notre Dame beat USC? Yes. Will they? There's nothing that I've seen right now that gives me any real confidence that that's going to happen. So the adjusted win total I would put right now at 7 and 5. And I did see this week there was a projection of Notre Dame going to the Duke's Mayo Bowl. So for you mayonnaise fans, get excited about that. <laughs> That's one of the grossest bowls ever. They, they were like eating the mayonnaise on TV. And I think Golick Jr. was it last year. He was dipping the Oreos in the, you know, in the in the mayonnaise and all that kind of stuff. So it was just, it was just disgusting. Um Sean, who is your UNLV guest this week? Sam Rothstein. It is not Sam Rothstein. His name, <laughs> I should remember it because I just talked to him today. Um, I will tell you here in just a second. Because I his la- i don't want to say his last name wrong. So that's why I'm not, um, that's why I'm not just going to try to say it without, I'm sitting here, and I'm looking, and of course, nothing wants to open right now, it is not Sam Rothstein, though, but I don't want to say his last name, because I don't want to mispronounce it, because uh, I had to get clarification from him, when, uh, when we were talking, because I would have said it wrong, had I just guessed how to say it, so, and I don't want to, I've got too much other stuff going on right now, to dig that up, but, uh, Good old Ace Rothstein. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm not familiar with Ace or Sam or uh, any of the above. So, but it is not. It is not one of them. All right. As we continue through the mailbag, Jonathan wants to know if Notre Dame needs to dial up more passes for the second tight end, because if we run 12 personnel and the second tight end isn't a passing threat, it makes it harder to get Mayor more space. I mean, if you're going to run all the 12 personnel out there, and Tommy showed that he loves that 12 personnel the other day, and, you know, again, like Jesse had a spreadsheet last night, three times they ran two back sets um, against Stanford Saturday, even though they have had, So much success running 21 personnel and even some 22 personnel this season. But they opted to go with much more 12 personnel, and I completely agree. Now, you know, they did find Mitchell Evans once, but what happened? That was called back. So it's not like there were no passes there. The bigger issue, and again, you know, Jesse brought the whole spreadsheet out and he broke down, it was basically a play-by-play of The games, but in addition to you know just having the result of the play and what happened, yardage and all that different stuff, he had the personnel package for each of them. And the fact beyond the personnel packages, the fact that if you look at third down and what they did on third down, it's not just that that Drew Pine was locked in on Michael Mayer. On third down, he was locked in on Michael. It, it was like he was gonna go to Michael Mayer, pretty much. of the time Saturday night. Excuse me. That's the bigger issue is just that it's not just that you need to dial up more passes for the other tight end. Is Drew Pine even looking for the other tight end? Because as we saw, there were plenty of times when Drew Pine was not even looking for wide open wide receivers. He was just Blatantly going to Michael Mayer. You know, that was that was a big issue, especially on third down. It's like there there was one third down in specific I can remember where Michael Mayer is on the left. He is double teamed. Drew Pine tries to force the ball into him. Well, in the meantime, all he had and he and he locked in on him from the snap of the football. He never took his eyes off Michael Mayer. All he had to do was look slightly to his right, and Braden Lindsay was sitting there about a yard or two beyond the sticks for an easy pitch and catch first down so it's not just that they need to dial up more passes for the number two tight end I completely agree that they need to but Drew Pine just has to quit locking in on Michael Mayer on all those especially you know you know those crucial situations he has to realize there are other guys on the field I realized Michael Mayer had been very successful but Stanford took him away and and that's the bigger issue to me there are Other guys that Drew Pine can throw to, other than Michael Mayer, he's just not throwing to him most of the time.
2: Yep, could not agree more with the with your answer to that question. I know I came in in the middle of it, but I 100% agree with you. you. Just of it, and it's not just the second tight end. And I think you were making that point. There are other people that can get involved with the offense when they're in 12 personnel. It doesn't have to be the second tight end. It just has to be anybody not named Michael Mayer. At times, he's still an all American tight end. You still want to get the ball in his hands but it doesn't have to be on every play. So the answer is yes, but it's more, it's bigger than just yes. You know what I mean? So.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, I do know what you mean. (laughs) Yes. And welcome back, by the way. Glad to have you. leaving
2: you hanging. I will explain everything after the show, my friend. Okay.
1: All right. Well. I hope everything went okay. It,
2: I wasn't sure if it was going to. That's why I had to take the call.
1: So, well, you're 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 still here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I guess that's here. a start.
2: Yes, absolutely. I didn't get taken away in cuffs or anything, so I'm good.
1: Um, I'll just go ahead and throw this one up there, and since you haven't uh, addressed any for you know yet for the show, I'll let you go ahead and start with this. Keith wants to know depth problem at defensive tackle. Why not give Rocco Spindler a shot there?
2: There really isn't a depth problem at defensive tackle, though, because everybody's back and they're healthy the way I understand it, unless they've said something at the press conferences that I've missed, Sean. But uh, the reason that we were okay with Jacob Lacey leaving is because the depth of defensive tackle was really good. Uh, right. So that part of it, I don't necessarily agree with Keith. But to to give your your question some credence, I will answer it as far as moving Rocco over there. Unfortunately, you can't just move a guy and expect big things to happen he has turned his body into an offensive lineman's body that is different than a defensive lineman's body right it's just it's a different feel it's a different strength it's a it's just different all around right and so you can't just move a guy from offensive line to defensive line and him be ready to play the following week that's just not how it works yeah Uh, and I know in high school there's certain things you can do and you can move a guy and you can do some things but this is well, I want to say high level division one football, but their play and their two loss or three losses might, you know, scream otherwise. But this is still high level division one football, and you can't just move guys from one position to another. I mean, look at just for example, look at Xavier Watts, right? Moving from from safety to wide receiver. That didn't even work out. And I think that would be an easier transition than moving Rocco from offensive guard to defensive tackle, even though they play in the same area on the field. It's just it's just too difficult. Just too difficult.
1: Yeah, I can, you know, and, you know, again, I know this guy played both ways in high school, but I I don't think that's something you want to start tinkering with. You know, we haven't seen him, even though he was, what was that, two springs ago, I guess, at this point. It was looking like, oh, man, maybe Rocco Spindler is going to get to play. Then all of a sudden it was, yeah. you know, Joe Alt and these other, Blake Fisher, these other young guys who ended up playing. And, you know, I don't I don't know exactly where Rocco Spindler is right now, just in terms of what's in his head and what he thinks is a priority and stuff like that. I mean, it's we've seen we've seen offensive linemen take a little bit of time. Jarrett Patterson's going to be gone, though, next year. And Josh Lugg, after eight years at Notre Dame, seemingly (laughs) is going to be gone next year. So both guard spots are going to be open. So I think that for Rocco Spindler's future, you know, and, and there's not. You know, I and I'm not sure where the depth thing came from just because Jacob Lacey left, I guess, but you know, I don't I don't think that there is a real depth issue. You know, there there's some guys you know, other than Howard Cross who maybe need to step up their play a little bit more, but they have, you know, moved Riley Mills inside more predominantly these last few games as well. You know, and so like you look at that, I, I don't think there's a real depth issue. And I think they're fine and, and Rocco just needs to stay where he is and, and work yeah. toward being a guard next year.
2: Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, I think he's he's in his right spot, and maybe he's not on the field as quickly as everybody wanted. I mean, look, Rocco is last year's version of Tobias Merriweather, right, uh, without the production because he hasn't really had a chance to get on the field yet. He's the guy that everybody wants to see. They want to see him. But I, his time will come, and I think people have to remember the fact that they had two, two, fresh, two true freshman tackles and now true sophomore tackles. That is not a normal – situation you know back in the day when Notre Dame had all these great linemen they were third fourth and fifth year players not first and second year players Rocco's gonna be good he's gonna be fine just because he's not playing as a true freshman or true sophomore does not mean he can't be a really good lineman at Notre Dame yes
1: Jeff asks a very interesting question he does so on a scale of one to five one being he'll figure it out, we're good. Five being we're screwed. So he's going the higher number is the bad number. I see that's, that. Okay, okay, that's different. Which is, yeah, it's like different than my scale usually. Like usually yes. the higher is the good. But okay, so so the higher number is the bad number. Um, HMS Titanic, he said, was the Notre Dame job too much for Freeman at this point in his career? He says, valid question at this time. So what do you think?
2: It's First of all, it is a – completely valid question at right. this time and I think it will continue to be a valid question throughout his first season I don't think that's you know let's say they go out and they cover against UNLV they beat them by 30 right this is still a valid question I mean it, that doesn't heal all the wounds and there's plenty of football left to be played I mean literally half the season left to be played and then a bowl game if they're lucky enough to get there at this point there, there's still a lot to be answered, right? So it's a 100% valid question. As far as where I would fall on the scale, and this is going to sound, maybe that sounds wishy-washy, but I'll, I'll put it at a three. I'm going right down the middle on it at the moment. I think I would have been at a one originally. Like, he'll figure it out. We're fine. We're good. It'll be fine. But I, I mean how can two of those three losses not force you down the scale a little bit? Right. And so maybe I'm a two and a half, maybe not all the way to a three, but I'm not a one. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm in that same range with you. And like, you know, Jess and I were talking about growing pains last night. And to me, because of where the program has been for the last five years, growing pains for this year would have been, okay, you lose the three big games, Ohio state, Clemson, USC, maybe you even lose to BYU, like the four toughest teams on your schedule. But the fact that they have beaten two pretty good teams, played really <laughs> close with an elite team, yep. but lost to two, as I've called them, tomato cans. Yeah. Marshall and Stanford, that calls everything into question, calls everything into doubt. I and you know, and this is just me looking sitting in these press conferences hearing what Marcus Freeman has to say 3 times a week and you know also falling back on the things we saw during training camp and there were no red flags during training camp so i don't want that to you know right. to sound like there were red flags but like here's an example this whole rumor about Marcus Freeman wanted to bring in an offensive analyst with head coaching experience but Tommy Reese wouldn't let him. And so this was asked of Tommy Reese last night when Tommy Reese spoke with the media. And Tommy said, look, Marcus Freeman's the head coach. It's his (laughs) program. You know, if he wanted to bring in, you know, one, I didn't shoot this down. He said, we've had conversations, you know, all this. If Marcus Freeman really wanted to bring him in, he could have brought him in. Now that said, there still could have been, you know, there's there's still other levels to that. Like Tommy Reese could have, shown some concern and and said, well, you know, I'm not really comfortable with that, whatever. But I guess my greater point is, I feel like Marcus Freeman, as a first-time head coach, who's 36 years old, I mean, the guy is still really young. Yeah. Think about it. (laughs) Well younger than both of us. 36-year-old, first-time head coach, it feels like, and again, like just observing sort of, you know, what he was doing in training camp, it feels like, one he's entrusted his assistants to do their job and he's not trying mm-hmm. to micromanage his assistants to do their job but at the same time I, he's I, I feel like he's trying to find that balance between how much direction do i need to give some of these guys and sure. you know as well as how much of a as a of a hands-on teacher do i actually need to be while also letting these guys still do their job it feels yeah. like some of that is still in play right now and you, and you can't find that balance until you've been through it as a head coach.
2: And that's a really good point because when I was in I was an assistant coach for a long time at the high school level and I always had this vision of what I would be as a head coach, right? And my thing was always I'm going to get guys in the room that are smarter than me. I'm going to let them coach. You know, I want a, a, a head coach of the offense and a head coach of the defense and then I'll take care of all the big picture stuff, you know what I mean? Right. And I have a feeling that that's a similar thought to what Marcus Freeman had going into this, right? I mean, you bring in Tommy Reese, obviously he already has all the experience and everything with the offense, et cetera. Was he there before, whatever, that splitting hairs, right? But then he brings in Al Golden, who's been a head coach. You know, he can run the defense on his own and Marcus Freeman can do all of the, public stuff the big stuff the the head coach stuff right and I think that's biting him in the butt a little bit to be honest with you and I see it and I I remember when I first became a head coach some of that bit me in the butt too and I needed to coach my coaches a little bit more but again I got to do that at a high school in South Bend he's doing it at Notre Dame right and there's a huge difference there and so he there is a bit of learning on the job And unfortunately, we're seeing the warts of that live. And it's unfortunate for him, but he kind of knew what he was getting himself into. And that kind of comes with the territory.
1: Yeah. And Irish Shy Town, this kind of goes along with that. He asked if Coach Freeman knows all the play calls beforehand before they're called because he looked genuinely surprised at times, especially on offense. I mean, you know, again, I don't I don't think, you know, if if you're letting the offensive coordinator be the play caller. Then you probably you know, he. It's not like he that Freeman is standing there with the call sheet, kind of following along with what he's doing. The one, you know, a couple of things that he said this week were, you know, again, I'm not calling the plays. I'm not directly involved in the right. in the offense. He's giving some direction during the week as far as these are the kind of things that we want to do against this team. You know, in terms of game plan. But then during the week, he is saying, okay, we need to do more of this. We need to do less of this. And that kind of stuff. And then on game day, it's like, okay, uh, I want you to run the ball here, or don't run the ball right. here, or those kind of I, things.
2: I, and I agree with you. I think it's more, hey, we need to run the ball here. Hey, we need to throw the ball here. Hey, yes. I don't think it's we need to run X cross four fifty G ski. You know, right. I don't think he's telling him what plays to run. I think he's telling him how he wants to see the offense. So, for example. Brian and I had a big issue with them running between the tackles against Stanford. I obviously right. did as well. I don't think he's saying, you know, you have to run outside. You have to run inside. I don't think he's going that specific. And again, right. this is me speculating, right? I think he's saying we need to run the ball. And I think Tommy Reese is then picking the run play that they go with, right? right. And and I think the execution of those plays or the outcome of those plays, I agree that he looks surprised, shocked, pissed off to be honest with you. And that it, it's not the look of a guy who was calling those plays himself. That's the look of a guy who expected success and didn't see it. So does he need to dive into the offense a little bit more? Maybe he does. You know, does he need to be more specific about what he wants from Tommy Reese? Maybe he does. You know, I think there's a lot of questions and answers that need to to come about. And it starts on the offensive
1: side. I agree. I completely agree with that. Um, I, By the way, I've just been starring almost anything
2: that looks like a question, and you can kind of <laughs> take or leave what All I right. star. So that's All where right. I'm at. <laughs> Keith
1: asks, if we feel better about the offense after watching the film the second time, as Freeman said. No.
2: <laughs> I mean, I – I felt like the offensive line played as well as they could under the circumstances, and so I do not blame the offensive line for this loss. I don't. It's difficult when you're running into nine and ten-man boxes. There's only so much those five guys can do, and so I was a little bit more happy with what I saw from the offensive line. Other than that, no, I was not, I did not feel better about the offense as a whole because the offense as a whole is about execution, but it's also about the play calling. I mean, it's all it it's all part and parcel. And it wasn't good. It just it wasn't good. Were there drops? Yes. Were there missed guys open? Yes. Were there batted balls? Yes. Yeah. But there were also a lot of opportunities that were left on the field based on the play calls.
1: And and I also just feel like, you know, play calls slash formation slash personnel groupings, because again, yep. Like when Jesse brought in that spreadsheet last night and talked about the fact, because I knew that they hadn't run that much 21 personnel three times. They had two backs on the field right? Saturday night. And, and it was as, so as, as much success as you have had out of that grouping, and you decide to go 12 and some 13 even. Right. And again, pack the box. And then it's like, it's not even that you're going 12 and that you're trying to, to hit an outside run by sealing off the edge. You're doing what you're saying. You're still trying to cram it between the tackles with 12 personnel when you're facing eight, and nine man boxes right. in there. And like the fourth and two from the five yard line, when Thomas goes in motion, they've already got 10 in the box. And then you motion him through the backfield right. to bring the extra. You've got all 11 guys in the box mm-hmm. at that point. And again, they've had so much success with the two back stuff. Throwing nice. to the running backs was not part of the game plan against right. a team. You should have been able to kill on the perimeter. Notre Dame's running backs are way better than Stanford's yes, linebackers. way better.
2: And the speed that Notre Dame has on its roster, sideline to sideline, on both sides of the ball, mind you, is better than Stanford. It's yeah. better than Marshall. And they didn't utilize the my guys are better than your guys scenario. They didn't utilize it. They just kept banging their head against the wall, running between the tackles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan says, in his opinion, he thinks we need to be able to throw the ball down the field to stretch the field. Even at even all the pass plays we are within the box and it's killing the explosiveness of the run game. Yeah. And and that's, 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 again, that's part of why I don't like the 12 personnel because, you know, as, as I think it might've been Jonathan who brought up earlier, you know, not only are you doing all this stuff, you know, bringing everybody in compacting the box, then it's like, you've got an extra tight end on the field, but the only tight end you want to throw to is, is the one who's double covered all, all the time, which means the other one is by nature going to have single coverage. You're not even using that guy other than, well, and, and again, they did once, but of course it got called, but you know, the touchdown shot sure. called back, but yeah, it's just, I mean, I completely agree. And that's, that's what was so frustrating about watching that game plan yes. the other night, because it just felt like that was a game plan for the wrong team.
2: Yeah. Completely agree. I, it's I And he basically said that they've used the same game plan three games in a row. Yeah. I just – that is mind-boggling to me. That's coaching 101. Why do we have film? Why do we study film? Why do we study personnel on the other team if we're just going to have the same game plan? I mean, football be easy if you had the same game plan. You just – you get it ready in the preseason. You roll it out there 12 times, and you can take Monday through Thursday off. I mean – he said
1: coming out of the Cal game – that they were gonna to have to have a different offensive game plan for each opponent, yeah, you know, to to kind of work their way through the schedule because of the differences in in defenses, but yep. that's
2: not what we've seen. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Um <laughs> I'm trying to kind of add to find some variety here.
2: Oh, I hear you. There's been there's a lot of repeats, I think, in there, but
1: this let's just go with this. Okay. Scale of one to ten, one being the lowest. How rude is it <laughs> that a co-host would leave you hanging?
2: <laughs> it's it's a ten. I mean, it's rude. There's no, uh, I, and I was the one that did it, so I will say it is. <laughs> I it's happened to me before, and you're like, uh, where do I go from here? And so I apologize for putting you in that position, sir. All right, you. I I will no, say this: okay. you okay. will understand once I talk to you.
1: I was going to say, I, I I knew that you know for you to step away the way you did something I would never unusual do that to slash you. important slash whatever had to be going yes out. I would never do that to you no. Ben says if Notre Dame scores less than Air Force did against UNLV, which was forty two points, would you hypothesize it is over <laughs> for Tommy? No, I'm you know winning. I realize everyone <laughs> wants it to be over for right. Tommy yesterday, but. It's just it's not going to happen this right. year. I have no idea what the you know what the evaluation reevaluation will be at the end of this season. But they're not firing Tommy right. Reese midseason. Yes,
2: I I agree with that. And again, what is the evaluation going to be at the end? We don't know. Maybe they do make a change. Maybe they need to make a change. I haven't read Tommy Reese's contract, so I don't know what what is there or what is being said behind closed doors. You know. Brian and I talked about what what's the possibility of kind of reorganizing people's responsibilities on the staff, you know, during the season. Is that a possibility? I don't know. Will it be disheartening that Air Force would score more than Notre Dame against the UNLV? Yeah. Yeah, it would be. It would be very disheartening. But I don't think it would be over for him.
1: Speaking of OCs, Salty wants to know if there is a change at O.C., offensive coordinator what are the characteristics desired in the new offensive
2: coordinator this is easy for me i I want a career college offensive coordinator with experience who has a history of adjusting his offense to the guys that they have on the roster and utilizing the talent that they have in a college manner that's what i want
1: And what's frustrating is that's who I thought Tommy Reese was a guy, you know, coming in, I talked about it all off season that he was a guy who could adjust to the personnel that he has, but that's not what we've seen. And I I think that that is a great answer because that's what you've got to have because it's, it's going to change from year to year because people are, you know, everyone's complaining about the lack of receivers and it's, it's legitimate, even though like, if you look at the, recruiting rankings of some of these guys they're supposed to have a pretty good wide receiver room even with even though the numbers are thin right now you know with what they've got left but that obviously hasn't panned out but it's going to change because of the kind of recruiting and all these different things you're going to get different kinds of quarterbacks different kinds of receivers it's going to change a little bit over the next few years so you're going to have to be flexible again that's that's who we thought tommy reese was but that's not what we've seen. So it's just been a very (laughs) boxed in approach to it. And, you know, and again, it's like, look, I'm not a Brian Kelly fan more than a a lot of people here, but you know, like we assumed that all the bad things that were going on were Brian Kelly. But like when when you look at some of the fact that they were able to, you know, be more flexible over the last few years and and adapt a little bit more to the personnel, you wonder how much how much touch Brian Kelly, how much input he had on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to refute that because I I do think a lot of it was Brian Kelly. and I think that's who Tommy Reese learned under. But I I did believe that Tommy would be more flexible once BK left. I did. I, I thought that he would be able to, we'd see the genius of Tommy Reese and we would see the X's and O's guy that we know that he is, that we would actually see that on the field. And we really haven't. You're right. It's almost more stringent than it was when they were both here. Yeah. Uh, And so that's disturbing. And I I don't want to put it all on Tommy because it was like that at Notre Dame before Tommy even got there. But he has – it is now his. It is his decision to do what they're doing. And we've had – He has a defensive
1: head coach who said this week, you know, not the first time he said it, who said, look, I'm not an offensive guru. And he's pretty hands-off when it comes to the, again, right. he'll give the input like, you know, in terms of just like I said earlier, during the week, these are maybe the kind of things that we need to be thinking about doing this week, but Tommy's still going to put together the main game plan. Right. And then on game day, you know, maybe we need to run, maybe we need to pass, whatever, but it's still, it's largely Tommy Reese, according to what we're hearing right now. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Yeah, I know it's frustrating. Oh, That's so what it yeah. Is. So I mean, yeah. Bottom line, John, what's your honest opinion based on Intel slash IB tactical news? <laughs> <laughs> uh, confidence that Marcus Freeman will get this sorted out in the near term. Scale of one to ten.
2: <sighs> Sorry, Brian, I clicked there. I know you don't like that. Uh, let's see. I in the near future. I give it a six because I thought he would have it figured out by now and he well, and I guess what doesn't.
1: near term means, right. And when like we're talking about this mean, like season, within this season,
2: I feel like that's, I feel like we're talking about this season. Uh, so I'm going to say six, he may need an off season. He may need to shake up the coaching staff a little bit. I, I don't like some of the things that I've heard about some of the things going on at practice. And so I think, if he's the head coach that I hope that he is, I hope there are changes that are made. I will say that. And I can't get any more specific than that, but I I hope that he is able to pull the trigger on some spots. And if he does, that makes me, then I get real excited about the future.
1: Yeah, I just feel like because of the fact that we had Marshall loss, two and a half good games, two really good games for the most part Mm -hmm. away from home. And then you come home and you lay that egg against Stanford. I just feel like we're going to be riding waves for the rest of the season. I just, I don't, I don't know what's coming from week to week based on what we've seen so far, because the fact that, you know, North Carolina is five and one, they're looking pretty good right now. Absolutely,
2: And Notre Dame handled North Carolina. Yeah. Absolutely handled them. Yeah.
1: On so both like, sides of the ball. We wrote that off as well. It's an atrocious defense and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, North Carolina's defense statistically was not worse than Stanford's defense. And look at what they did against Stanford.
2: And, you know? But they also made Drake May look pedestrian. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, that's very true. and that was an explosive offense. And he has done nothing but put his name in the Heisman category, you know, before and after the Notre Dame game. So you can't tell me there's not talent here.
1: No, I agree. I agree. I completely agree. There's, there's, there's a lot of talent on the roster. It's just, you know, again, it's just <laughs> very inconsistent. That's the biggest thing right now. How bad yeah. a loss is that for North Carolina? It could end up being That's, really bad. Yeah. It's like, what happens if they win the ACC and then they're sitting there with their only loss being a somewhere around 500 Notre Dame <laughs> team? It could yeah. really, it could really bite them. Yes. Absolutely. Connor wants to know, biggest changes that need to happen during this season? <laughs> Man, that's
2: I, I, I mean, I need, I need to see a more inventive game plan offensively. I need to see some of the younger guys getting some work at linebacker consistently. I need to see, obviously, number 15 offensively much, much more. He needs to be involved in the offense. I was surprised they brought him out. Did they bring him out uh, to be interviewed this week? Was that? is they that did. what I had heard. so okay. there's, a,
1: there's a story in the hopper right now that will, will be published any any time on irishbreakdown.com
2: so i was actually surprised by that that they brought him out after you know his game and and the way things went and the fact they didn't put him back in afterwards and all of that and he of course he said all the right things they wouldn't put him out if he didn't but maybe that's a sign that he's going to be taking a bigger role in the offense i hope that that's the case so Look, they again, they have the talent. We've actually seen it this year. I've seen good game plans this year. They can't have another game plan like they had against Stanford. You just can't.
1: Yeah. And that's that's the biggest thing is just tactically, you know, again, knowing your personnel, knowing the defense you're going against and the kind of play – like, there's just no excuse. The way your running backs – basically the running backs and Michael Mayer had been the offense – during that three game winning streak. Right. And they completely went and specifically like from a passing standpoint, that really was keeping defenses honest. You just, again, when you look at those consecutive games of over 100 yards for scrimmage for those guys, they had at least one of those backs over hundred yards from scrimmage in each of those games. And it just completely disappeared because they decided they weren't going to throw to the running backs against Stanford. I think that was a complete whiff. And that's that's a simple change right there that yeah. needs to be made. And like Tobias Merriweather, Tristan says, now that 15's enter the scene, this team really has a great shot. I I mean, again, I I've got to see down. something. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, let's let's not get out in front of our skis.
2: <laughs> no one would be more excited than me that Notre Dame would run the table because that means they got some pretty big win. At this point, a big win over Syracuse, and people may push back on that. But at this point, that's a big win. It's going to be over a ranked team. Yeah. Clemson, USC, I mean, might as well throw Boston College into the mix. I mean, there, there's teams on the schedule that they shouldn't lose to, and there's teams on the schedule that I'm sure they're going to be underdogs yeah, to. but they've
1: so, already lost to two of the teams they were 100%, supposed to lose
2: to. There were that's, m-
1: that's the problem.
2: Double-digit favorites against.
1: Yeah. You know? And, yes, I think Tobias Merriweather can be kind of an X factor here down the stretch, but... They also have to show that they're going to get him the ball consistently because the plays that they right. threw to him the other night were – one of the things he talked about last night was there were plays they, – they had plays tagged for him is the phrase that he used. Sure. Like these things are tagged for me, specific yeah. to him. But he's been working on learning more of the actual offense, but it's taken time because you know, right. it's a big playbook and it's a college offense. And he talked about how basically they ran a run and shoot in high school and it was basically right. just chuck it up for tobias you know that <laughs> i mean thing yeah and you've coached high school you know it's not that much different than that sometimes yeah. It, sometimes it's, that just, kind of talent. it's
2: just that easy like I think mean, about
1: it, you know garrick Dieter. yep that you know the guy who played for bowling green played a season at alabama he played here in town at south Bend, washington and that's before you were at what yeah that was well before you were yeah. at washington but you know him dwayne perkins you know those those guys. Basically, it was throw the ball up for Garrig and go let him eat. <laughs> you know that kind of thing, and yep. he ate a lot. Yes, he to did. Be quite honest. And yeah. So when you've got that kind of talent, it is that simple sometimes. But obviously, everybody who gets to college is that talented, and that's why you've got to know the playbook. <laughs> you know. But as we've said all along, plays like they made the other night, throws like they made the other night to Tobias Merriweather are the kind of throws they could have been making. All along, absolutely, just as simple as run a post pattern. Now he had, a, I, I love like the extra, you know, like the the moves that he threw into that post pattern and still barely broke stride and spun that safety around in a three sixty and just ran by him on that. But that's the kind of skill that guy has,
2: exactly. And, and it, he's going to win jump balls. He's going to, yeah. he's going to outrun guys. I mean, he can do a lot of things. There is right. no doubt about that.
1: But my point is it can't just be that all the time because right. all of a sudden, then if you do have a deep safety and all you're doing is, you know, like drew pine, well, I'm going to throw it to Tobias, no matter what, then you're going to get into trouble if you're not seeing, you know, who's back right. there defensively. That Absolutely.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
1: Did you see any that are catching your eye right now? I know you're starring still on the air. Yeah,
2: no, here's a good one from Brent Smith. Let's throw this one. uh, Stanford simply took away the only thing Notre Dame does well on offense. That's how they won. Any thoughts? They took away the inside run, and they did a good job of that.
1: And they took away Michael Mayer.
2: They (laughs) took away Michael Mayer. Good job. But there's other things that they should have done to counteract that, and they didn't. And that's why they lost. It, it yeah. Look, Stanford did what they could do. They, they tried to make Notre Dame one-dimensional. They didn't have to be. They could have run outside zone. They could have run stretch. They could have run toss. There's a lot of things they could have done to the outside in the run game so that they still would not have been one-dimensional. Drew Pine could have hit guys other than Michael Mayer, so they're not one-dimensional. Stanford did what they could. They were very successful in what they did. The problem is Notre Dame just said, well, that's what you're doing well. We're just going to keep trying to do this. That's the problem. That's why Stanford won, not because of what Stanford did. And I know maybe that sounds elitist, but that's X's and O's. I mean, that's that's what happened.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I like this question. Sean and Vince, if you could pick the starting offense, who would be your eleven? So,
2: let's put set some parameters here. Right. Do injuries – count right now
1: i assume we're going to go with What's guys available. who are available right okay
2: now. all right because if the injuries didn't count uh i i would have a different definitely a different lineup than than what we've got right now because i would have had avery davis in the lineup and i would right. also have uh, right. buckner at quarterback right. so but they're not available yeah let's so go with
1: guys play. who are available like right. guys you could actually start from this point going forward this season
2: okay five linemen aren't changing. Right. I mean, those are the five linemen. Michael Mayer obviously is not changing. You have no choice except to have Drew Pine at quarterback. He's going to be the quarterback. You know, you can start whoever you want at, at running back. To me, honestly, that is game plan dependent. If you plan on pounding the rock between the tackles, you start Audrick Estime. If you plan on, you know, working the outside, then you start Chris Tyree. Obviously, all three of those guys are going to play. So I think that that's nominal. I don't think that matters who you start. Okay. As far as wide receiver is concerned, uh, I would put Tobias Merriweather on the outside. I would put Lorenzo Styles on the other side, and I would I would keep Jaden Thomas at slot, but I would use him differently than they've been using him. So those are the yeah. three wide receivers. So I'm starting in 11 personnel, and those are the three wide receivers. Right.
1: And you had Mayer out there, obviously, with your yes. 11, but... Yeah, and the only change I might make is, you know, I might just start off in 21. I thought you might, yeah. Just because, you know, again, it has been a really successful grouping right now. It, it, you know, at the very least, I don't know what the percentage is. 30%, like, do you think 30% 21 personnel is a good number for them to shoot for the yeah, way they're running? You know, the way, I think they so. use, the way they use the running backs when they're in that package, I mean, it just, it just makes so much sense. And yeah. again, like who's, who, who's starting really doesn't matter that much. And then basically I would go back. I mean, you're you you're, you're not going to put Tobias Merriweather on the field for 65, 70 plays right off the bat, you know, so again, like you're going right. to be taken, but those would be the three receivers. And then you've got the three running backs. Those, those would be my primary skill guys. You know, right. I think you can, there's a lot you can do with those guys. Chi-Town wants to know which Notre Dame players will get drafted slash declare mm. for the draft. I mean, right now, obviously, Michael Mayer yeah. is a given. Isaiah, Isaiah Foskey, I think, is a
2: given. I Isaiah do.
1: Foskey is still apparently rated really high. I think yeah. I saw maybe Ryan say that. I can't remember yeah. who I saw. I actually saw something today. Isaiah Foskey is still rated really high, even though he okay. hasn't done much so far this year. Patterson's going to get drafted. Um,
2: Braden Lindsey's going to leave, obviously.
1: Yeah, Lindsey. Well, but we're talking about draft. So, well, he um, says
2: declared. I mean, he can de- I could declare for the draft. I mean, well, yeah, to I good to true. declare. I guess that's true. Um, no, I don't think Braden Lindsey going to get drafted. And, I thought and, he meant like underclass guys when he said declare. Oh, so, I see. Okay, that's what I'm assuming. Okay, right? okay. I don't know. That's like everybody who's a senior is going to declare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that doesn't have eligibility left. Right. I, I still think Cam Hart's going to leave. Uh, I. You know, he had a decision to make coming into this year, and he decided to come back. I don't think he makes another decision to come back. I think he'll probably leave regardless, although I think he could benefit from another year at Notre Dame. I I think this year has been, you know, not what he expected, not what I expected. I think he could, but I think he will leave.
1: Brandon Joseph, I think, is kind of a really wonder Yeah.
2: I think he leaves, too. I, I think I mean, he could use another year,
1: though. Based on what we've seen from him, I mean, he has been solid. He hasn't made, like, bonehead right. plays or anything like that. But I think we talked about it a, a week or two ago. We haven't seen impact plays from yeah. him. And that's what right. you expected from this guy when he came in with all that experience, especially a guy who walked in the door talking about wanting to be a first-round draft pick. Right. And again, it's not that he has played poorly, so I don't want to – you know. Right, but he hasn't – But he hasn't flashed but in that terms of the NFL draft, I'm just not sure, you know, like how much would another year potentially benefit him? Sure. If that's his goal, to get drafted that high, because there is a big difference when you're drafted that
2: high. I think at this point he needs to stack his All-America season from two years ago with another one. And so it's not a flash in the pan. That's not like a one-time thing because he was an All-American, then he wasn't. And this year, I don't think he's going to be again. And so you don't want to be going into the draft two years removed from being an All-American. You want, you know what I mean? Like, you want to go out and and prove that that wasn't an anomaly year, right? Because right now, that year, I feel, right now, I feel like that year is the exception, not the rule for him. And he needs another year like that. I agree. I completely agree. Um, there are a
1: few. Tariq Bracey,
2: I I don't know that he has any eligibility left. Yeah, I mean, he'll be gone. I think I just don't know it well enough to be honest with you, but I think he's gone. I'm just kind of going through the roster, uh, as we speak here. I think those are probably all the big ones, right? I mean, you might see a lineman leave that wasn't playing, you know, that kind of a thing, but. There's not a whole lot of those. Well, like the
1: Adam Alola's, I just. Yeah. Yeah. Like NFL wise, you know, they're they're undersized, you know, so I don't I, I, I've i actually been thinking about them the last couple of days. Like what what their NFL future, you know, kind of how that boats. And that's a conversation we can have kind of down the line a little bit. You know, that's like December conversation. Like, or, right. you, know, late, you know, that, that early December type stuff but uh, all right i want to get a couple more questions in here before we get to rapid fire because we do have a couple super chats we're gonna nice squeeze into rapid fire tonight as well over under on tyree run calls between the tackles jonathan jonathan says three and a half
2: and he says that he's setting he's setting the number at three and a half and he says over
1: oh the over under oh that's right he says over yeah so
2: i'm gonna go over as well because i think that's what notre dame wants to do and they started gonna, Chris Tyree, so.
1: I'm going to go with, they're not going to go down the insanity road. They have learned their lesson and they will not go uh, four or more between That's the funny. tackles. That's
2: basically. funny. Doing the same thing over and over and accepting a different outcome. The definition of Insanity. Yeah, Or the definition of the Notre Dame's
1: offense. So Chi-Town wants to know, how did IB and the other national sports writers get their analysis so wrong about Notre Dame? Because it's a program, you know, again, like five consecutive years of double-digit wins. And as we've kind of touched on, we knew that there would be some growing pains for Marcus Freeman as a first-time head coach. Mm -hmm. I just don't think we thought they would be to this extent sure. we, you know we, we thought that there was going to be there ended up being less continuity in the program from a coaching standpoint than there was originally planned on being but I think a big part of it is Marcus Freeman is very likable mm-hmm. he's obviously much more likable and charismatic than his predecessor and you know I just kind of like elections, you know, you buy into the charisma, whether or not, whether or not there's truth or fiction or, you know, whatever in between the charisma. And then, you know, he's obviously out there killing it on the recruiting trail. And I think that, you know, kind of play, you know, and again, like, even though people want to say that there's no talent as, as we've talked about today, and we've talked about throughout this week, The talent level on this team right now is not markedly different than anything, any talent level that Notre Dame has had over the past five years. You know, there have obviously been some standouts here and there, you know, like the Quentin Nelsons and Mike McGee and some of those kind of guys. But by and large, the talent level is just not that much different than what Notre Dame has had.
2: That's So that's the key, in my opinion. So if we're talking about our analysis being wrong, if you just look at the roster versus the roster of the teams that they were going to play this year, Notre Dame should be 10 and 2. Yes. I mean that that's my evaluation of the rosters, right? right. And any person that is, does not have a dog in the fight and they're just looking at the rosters, okay? And they're looking at the skill sets of the guys on the rosters would say the exact same thing. And so I'm sorry, that's why we said what we said. We're not saying it because we're a bunch of homers, because we weren't the only ones saying it, number one. Number two, all you got to do is watch the film. Not that many guys left from last year. It's a lot of the same guys, and they're not even doing what they did last year.